So within 30 years, here's what's going on. Jesus crucified, resurrected, and then the church, the gospel begins to spread out. The disciples go, like Jesus told them to do, in all through Asia Minor, spread out all towards Rome and through the whole Mediterranean world. The gospel starts moving out. By 60 AD, here's what it said. For every one Jewish follower of Jesus, there were 100,000 non-Jewish or Gentile followers, mainly Greek. So can you picture now what's going on in the church? Can you imagine the cultural shift that's happening in the local churches as they gathered from what used to be a Jerusalem-centered, Jewish-based dialogue about following Jesus to now a massively dominated, non-Jewish, mainly Greek followers of Jesus. So here was the tension. Why is all that important? Because John, born and raised in Bethsaida, Jewish background, he gets transplanted to the city of Ephesus in the latter part of his life, mainly Greek city there. And he now is thrust into this environment where he's trying to help a bunch of people understand what it means to follow Jesus who have no Jewish origin and background. So for example, in the churches in Jerusalem area, a very common way they would refer to Jesus would be the Messiah. They would worship the Messiah. They would call him the Messiah. Do you realize there's zero translation of that to the Greek world? They have no concept of Messiah, of long-awaited Savior, of Redeemer. So John is burdened about this. He's like, hey, we got to figure out a way to help this massively spreading and growing Gentile church and non-Jewish language. We got to help them understand the glory and majesty of who Jesus is. And so today we're going to, I want you to view the gospel of John as John's portrait of the life of Jesus. And today he's got two primary colors he's going to use with the brush strokes of his life and his writings in chapter 1. And it's a metaphor that he's using to try to bridge the communication gap between the Jewish world and the non-Jewish world. And here's where he starts it. Verse 4. In him was life. Now him speaking about Jesus. And that life was the light of men. So in your Bible, circle life and circle light. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. Now, who's that referring to? That's John the Baptist. So we got two Johns going on in John. You got John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John. John the Apostle is writing about another John. John the Baptist. Don't you love it when it's like this in the Bible? It's like the Bible's hard enough at times to understand. Now we got two Johns going on here. So John the Baptist is kind of laying the tracks for Jesus to come. And John the Apostle was watching this, witnessing it, experiencing it. Look what he says about John's ministry. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. Huge theme in John's gospel. We're going to be covering this for the next several months. So you can just hang out and immerse in John's gospel individually, as families, as life groups. Just immerse yourself in John's gospel. And here's what you're going to find. 98 times in John's gospel, he says, believe on Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Place your whole life in his hands. 98 times this is the theme of John's gospel. Believe on him. Trust your life to him. Surrender to him. Verse 8, 
He himself, speaking about John the Baptist, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So you see the metaphor here he's using? Here are his two colors he pulls from the palette for his portrait now. He's going to go light and darkness. He's going to use these, right? They're basically two roads in life, John's painting here in this opening chapter. Two basic roads you can go in life. You can go the road of light that leads to life, or you can go the road of darkness that leads to death. And hear this now. Here's what John wants to make sure we understand. Our response to Jesus dictates more than anything else which road you're on. That's John chapter 1. You've got two basic roads in life. You've got the road of light that leads to life. You've got the road of darkness that leads to death. And our response to Jesus will determine more than anything else which road at any given point that we're on. So what we're going to do here this morning is we're going to just kind of go through some layers of this light he's introducing and kind of contrast it in the backdrop of darkness. Because the context of understanding the light has to be set in the context of really good understanding of the depth of the darkness, right? It's a both-and deal here. So we're going to look, and I put in your notes. You haven't pulled out your bulletin notes yet or pulled up the app, and you can get them electronically there. There are three main qualities of light that John's unpacking here. And the first one is this idea of light dispelling the darkness. Now, when John uses the term darkness, I put in your notes, I think, here's what darkness means. It's it's his word for evil. It's everything that is hostile to the good. So when you think about things that stand opposed to that which is good, John's term for that is darkness. It represents evil. Here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. You following his thought there? Here's John saying, hey, the issue isn't that we don't have the light. The issue is we love the dark. That's the core issue. And here's the reality. You, you know this if you have breath of life in your lungs. You didn't have to learn how to love the dark. Did you notice how you're born loving the dark? You're born with this propensity to drift and go away from God. You're born with a pull. It's like spiritual gravity pulls to the darkness. The Bible term for this is called sinful nature. Your fallenness. You can thank Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3. Whole other discussion we can have there. But here's the reality. When you enter into this world, there is a current flowing through the center of your heart towards the darkness. So this is why, shocker, when you unplug from just step away from church, stop reading the Bible, stop surrounding yourself with people following the light, you don't just wake up one day and go, man, I'm more spiritually alive and on it than I've ever been. That doesn't happen that way, right? You wake up and you go, how did I drift so far? And why am I pulling? Like, my thoughts are going the wrong way. My decisions are going the wrong way. I don't feel as alive and connected to God as I used to. It's the dark. There's this issue of darkness that runs through the center of our lives that John says, light has come. The issue isn't that we don't have light available. The issue is we love the dark. And this explains a lot of what's going on in our world today. How many more stories do we have to come across the news feeds on our phone that show the latest city in our own country whose murder rates are now breaking new records? 
Do you know how many mayor's offices and police chiefs and city councils are getting together these days? And you know what those meetings are centered? Here's the question that comes up at that meeting. What's going on? This is crazy. Do you know if the Apostle John were invited into that discussion? Here's what he would say, I think. He said, it has to do with the darkness of the human heart that manifests in deeds that are evil. That's what's going on. Or how about how crazy our youth sports culture is today? It's unbelievable to me. Like, we actually have to have, do you know this is happening now in school systems all around our own state of Indiana and all across the country? That parents and fans are so out of hand in how they're responding to the youth sports, kids games, and all that's going on. There's throwdown brawls happening at the 50-yard line after football games. Right at the end of a basketball game, there's people rushing the court not to cheer on the players, but to go, you know, throw a haymaker on the opposing parent across the way that they've been flipping the bird to the whole half. I mean, so here's what's happening. Athletic directors and school officials, right, and coaches and referee associations, they're getting together and they're saying, what is going on? This is crazy. And Apostle John would say, it's the darkness of the human heart that manifests in deeds that are evil. Or this past couple of weeks, I read about a story of a 22-year-old young lady in Oregon named Missy who was trying to figure out what she wants to do with her life. And she decided she was going to start her own online pornographic website called Suicide Girls. So she started it. Within six months, she has 40,000 viewers a day taking in $80,000 worth of revenue. What explains that? Gang, it's the darkness of the human heart that manifests in deeds that are evil. If we want an explanation for all that's unraveling in our world, church, all that's unraveling in our world, it's rooted, it's, it's, not, it's not a political issue. This isn't an educational issue. This isn't an economic policy issue. This isn't a military strategy issue. The core issue for all that's unraveling in our world is there is an evil and a darkness that springs forth from within. The Bible calls it sin. Everyone has it. We're born into it. And until that's dealt with, we will see a manifestation of that evil all across our world in a multiplicity of ways. That's why as a country, you can't hire enough police officers. You can't build enough prisons. This is the core issue. Darkness is the core So here, do you see why he uses this metaphor? Because when you're caught up in the dark, and all you know is the dark, and spiritual gravity pulls you here, do you see how you need the light to come from beyond you into the dark? Do you see this? When you're caught up in the dark, you need light. This is what he's saying. This is Christ. Do you see this? This is the metaphor. Christ has come into this massive cesspool of darkness. And he says, you can go towards the light. You will find life. You can stay in the dark if you want. But the darkness is going to go one way. Listen, we don't need an overly lengthy discussion this morning about the darkness, okay? This is the, right, every single day in a multiplicity of ways in our home front, our work front, our culture, our nation, we've got ample displays of the darkness, right? That was going on in John's day. Some folks are pulling me aside these days and asking me all about, you know, pastor, you know, what's going on in our country and our leadership? And saying, you know what, gang? In John's day, 
It was significantly worse than what we have today. They were slaughtering children at the leadership of their country. The policies they were putting in place were not God-honoring policies. They were not to help people flourish. Like, the mess of leadership has been going on since Genesis 3. It's the darkness of the human heart that manifests in deeds that are evil. And until we see a generation of people, of men and women, who are going to have the light of Christ come into the darkness and help them lead and rule in righteousness, there's no hope for sustainable change. That's why the church has the message. We have the message to proclaim. What is most needed in our land, right, isn't new political leadership, isn't new legislative power, isn't some new police strategy. All those things are important in some levels. The core of it is we need revival. We need spiritual awakening to come. We need people to say, I'm caught in the dark and I need the light of Christ. That's what we need. Light has come. The problem is we got people love the darkness more than light. And they're leading and ruling and making decisions from that place. That's why the news feed reads what it reads. That's why the sports fields look like what they look like. And it doesn't matter how many rules and police officers and boundaries you set up. Guess what's going to happen? It's going to continue to go that way until what? Until the light comes. The light comes to dispel that darkness, gang. And that's the message that the followers of Jesus have to proclaim in John's day and in our day. We take the hope of that light out into the darkness. We're not scared of the darkness. We don't run from, we move towards it with the light of Christ. The light is power, it dispels. Are you kidding me? Look at the properties of light. When it moves into the darkness, darkness flees. It's not the other way around. And so with bold and courageous, we're trying to raise up our students and our children today to be well-grounded in the light of Christ. Move towards that darkness. Lead and rule in righteousness. Get in positions of leadership and stand up for the Lord's ways. That's how our country's going to turn. That's how our institutions are going to turn. And it starts here, gang. It's families like us banding together, praying together, parenting together, investing together, being in it for the long haul, for the light. We can't just be sticking our head in the sand and just hope the darkness somehow goes away. It ain't going away until Christ blows the trumpet and returns. It already says, right, the end of the story is already written. Just so you know, there is a day coming when the darkness once and for all is eliminated. Jesus said, I hold the keys to all that. We're living in the in-between age like the apostle John was. The in-between age is filled with this light and darkness, but you've been given the light of Christ, the one who says at the end I will blow the trumpet and in one final swoop I will eradicate darkness and sin and evil one final time. But until then, gang, it's our role. We gotta move out and move towards it with the power of spirit, his spirit within us. This is how the darkness is dispelled. So we pray for our students as they head into their school systems. As you carry the light of Christ with you students, you move into those school systems. You move into those pockets of darkness with the light of Christ. And those of you in work settings, some of you put in your hand, you're like, I just can't even fathom all that's messed up in my work setting. Do you know you're the light of Christ? You move light into that darkness. Or some of you are involved in our political arenas and you're handling positions of leadership. You move in to those places of brokenness with the light of Christ. That's how this works. That's why we're together on Sundays. So we remind ourselves of this big picture and then we go out Monday through Saturday into this world with the light. 
And that's real hope, gang. I know it feels overwhelming at times. I know we feel like in the minority at times, but I guarantee you this, we're no more in the minority than John was when he wrote this letter. They say of John, he was the last martyr. They think that they might have boiled him to death. I mean, that's what they were doing with followers of Jesus back then. And some boiling oil or something and put his body in there. And the ways that they came up with executing people who were simply following Jesus, that was the... Now, I know we got a lot of challenges in our country, but we don't have that thing going on. But you know there are places in our world where that is going on for followers of Jesus. So in North Korea today, that's a reality. And the church is flourishing there. Light is dispelling the darkness. You just don't get to hear about it. It's not on your front page. So this is the first property of the light. Do you see this? is dispelling the darkness. Now, the second property has to do with an exposing quality. This one makes us a little more uncomfortable because here's what happens when you move towards the light of Christ. Do you notice this with Jesus? He likes to drag stuff out of the hiddenness and the corners of our lives. Do you notice this with Jesus? He doesn't like stuff to stay behind locked doors and in the corners and hidden and covered up. There's this exposing quality. And here's how John says we tend to respond to this. Look at verse 20, chapter 3. John 3, 20. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. It reminded me when we were building our house in Royal Run and we got to the phase in the building project where the drywallers had just finished and I wanted to go by and kind of check out their work. I think the painters had put the primer on the walls. And so I, I went, drove by at the end of a workday once. It was kind of around dusk. And I walked through the house and I'm like, man, it looks really good. I was like, this looks really good. And the next day I had to go by the house for some other reason. It was like noontime. It was in the middle. And the sun was really bright. And I walked through the house and I go, this looks like a mess. So I went back to my car and I had a stack of post-it notes in my car. I got my post-it notes out and I just started walking around the house and I found a spotlight that the drywallers had left and I got that spotlight and I just started carrying the spotlight all around the house and shining it on the drywall. And I just started putting sticky notes up to where, oh, that's a, that's a, that looks terrible. That looks terrible. I just started sticking. I ran out of post-it notes. A few hours later, my phone rang. It was the builder. He said, Mr. Simpson, I can see you've been by the house today. Yes, I have. He says, I take it your post-it notes are places of concern. Yes, they are. He said, well, I've just walked through the house, and it was, again, closer to sunset. He says, it really looks good. Most of the post-it notes, I couldn't see why you stuck a post-it note there. I said, Mr. Builder, if you would grab a spotlight and shine it on the wall, it'll become real clear to you. Here's what he said, quote, Mr. Simpson, there's not a drywaller in the state of Indiana that can pass the spotlight test. It's as good as it's going to get. Click. It's always fun building a house, right? It's just such... <laughs> but there's something behind that. This is what John's getting at in his gospel. He's like, hey, do you know when you move towards Christ... Here's why some of you right now are on the fence. Some of you are wrestling with giving Jesus the spiritual Heisman on something. And you know what it's centered around? Is you're moving towards Jesus. He's coming for some places of your heart that you wanted to put kind of an all rights reserved, locked behind closed doors. We're not going to deal with that, Lord. I definitely want Jesus to save me. I want to go to heaven. But there's some, like, I kind of got some dark corridors in here. Pretty private, Lord. You just kind of keep your hands off of that and we'll just... You following me? 
This is what John's saying. This is what happened. When you move towards the light, here's, gang, do you see that Jesus is coming for the whole of our lives? Do you know that there's not one area of our life that Jesus isn't interested in? On one side, it's hallelujah. The other side is, whoa. You mean everything, Simpson? Yeah. Like every, you mean, yeah, that too. And he's coming for it. Do you see this? He's not coming to punish us. He's not coming to like say, I told you so. He's coming to heal and redeem and restore and put things back together in the way they're supposed to be. He's like, hey, Simpson, you lock some things up behind that door over there. Do you know there's a much better way to live than that? I'm going to bust down that door. I'm going to bring the spotlight of my love and grace into it. You're going to open your eyes and you're going to see it for what it is. <laughs> That's called discipleship right there. And you join us the Holy Spirit. That's why some of you, like who were baptized recently, the conversations we may have would be like, you're wrestling with sin in your life? You weren't even aware it was sin a couple months ago. Ooh. Because Jesus is coming for some more places of your heart. He's illuminating. He's exposing. He's bringing some things into the light. And you cannot change something you're not aware of. Do you see this gift of grace? He's bringing an awareness it's such a healthy thing to be self-aware of the places of darkness in our heart, the places that still need work, because that's the first step towards change. And this is the gift that Christ gives us in this. Look at how William Barclay, a scholar, put this. He said, we never see ourselves until we see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus. How about this? We never see what our lives are like until we see them in the light of, Christ, of Jesus. Jesus often drives us to God by revealing us to ourselves. Oh, right there. That's the invitation of following Jesus. He says he will dispel the darkness. He will push back some things of darkness in your life. And then you know what he's going to do? He's going to shine the spotlight of his love and grace into some places that need transformation and healing and changing. There's an exposing. And right there, we need the Holy Spirit's help to be courageous and stay with Jesus in that don't run back to the dark. It's like coming out of the movie theater and that bright light hits your eyes. You just, ah, no, keep going. Keep going towards the light. Because the alternative, the destination of that isn't where we want to be. So there's this dispelling darkness quality. There's this exposing quality. Stay with me now. There's this guiding quality. Do you see what John says about the light here? Look at what he says in John 8, 12. Who else do you know who could say, speak a sentence like this? I only know Jesus of Nazareth who could say such a thing as this. Look at this. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Church, that's why I give my whole life to him. Who else says that to me? He'll be the light. And if we'll follow him, he'll lead us out of the dark into the light. He will be our guide. Do you know he's really good at guiding lives? He's really good at it. I just got to let him do it. I'm horrible at it. I'll grab the wheel and go the direction I want to go. It tends not to go a great way. When I relinquish control, surrender to him, he's way better at it. There's nothing like living a God-guided life. There's nothing like it. Now, I guarantee you he'll surprise you. There's nothing like it. It reminded me of a story from the NFL, Rob Conrad. Some of you may recognize him. Here's a picture of Rob Conrad, his playing days. He played for Miami Dolphins for five years. After he retired, he, he liked a deep sea fish, and he was living in the Miami area. He took his deep sea fishing boat out by himself, 
and he had several poles on the back, and he set his boat on autopilot, and one of the poles got a fish on it, and he did probably what most fishermen instructed not to do. He left the captain's seat with the autopilot on, went back to deal with the fish that was on the pole and was kind of reeling it in and dealing with it, and a massive wave came up and slammed the side of the boat and tossed Rob Conrad overboard. No life jacket. He says he came to the surface to witness his boat speeding away from him. Nine miles from shore. It was around noon. He said that he had a decision to make at that point. He knew. Here was the, here's the decision. Swim or die. Swim or die. He looked around. There, there, any, there wasn't a boat other than his boat leaving him. There was no other boat within any eye contact of him. Now, here's what he was struggling with as well. He said the challenge was he started to swim, of course. He shed most of his clothes because you want to get the weight off of you. And he started to swim. But he wasn't completely sure directionally towards the shoreline. You with me? Because when you're out in the open waters, you've been there, some of you, and you get in the open waters, and all of a sudden you lose all bearings at that point. So he just started to swim his best guess towards the shore. But you know what he was doing? He was swimming adjacent to the shore. And he kept swimming. And the jellyfish were stinging him. And he said pool of sharks started circling him. And he kept swimming. Swim or die. He said he thought about his daughters. He thought about his wife. Swim or die. Swim or die. He kept swimming, kept swimming. He said the saving grace came when the sun set. So he happened at noon. So somewhere around 7, 8 o'clock that night, the sun goes down. And when the sun went down, the twinkling lights of the shoreline became visible. And he could turn towards the lights on the shoreline and swim to the shore. 16 hours later, at 4.30 in the morning, Rob Conrad crawled onto a beach. He swam 27 miles. Collapses on the beach. Somebody in the home along the beach kind of sees this strange scene of this guy like looking like he's dying on the beach. They come out with like blankets and they surround him. They call for help and that's a picture of him and his wife four days later in a press conference, his wife Tammy, recounting the story. When I read John's account of light and darkness, I thought about, you know, here's what John's trying to say. The way the lights on the shoreline were in the darkness of the sea that Rob Conrad was in, that's exactly how it is with the light of Christ for you and me. So John's saying this, we're like Rob Conrad, we're born into this massive ocean open waters of darkness, and we're left unto ourselves in that. And we can try to tread water in our own wisdom and strength all we want. We'll we'll get to this in a minute, but the extension of that is death. You're not going to make it. Or you can look up, lift up your eyes to the shoreline, see the light of Christ. The light has come. Follow that light, and that'll lead you to life. That's what John's trying to say in John chapter 1. Because if you'll follow the light of Christ that will guide us, it will lead to what he says. Did you notice in chapter 1, he calls it life. And his term for life there is, is a zoe. I think I put it in your notes, the life. It's an alive to God life. This is where he'll lead us. An eternal kind of life. This isn't just heaven for when you die. An eternal kind of life now. This is a wholeness and fullness of life. This is life the way God intended This is life with the pieces aligned the way God puts you together to be. This is a Zoe kind of life. 
This is what he's referring to in John 1, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That's what he's getting at. John 10, 10. Here's his contrast with light and darkness again. Look, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you know that's the agenda for the road of darkness? You Right there, John, steal, kill, and destroy. There's your agenda for darkness. The extension of the road of darkness, if you stay on it, the destination is death. Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus says there is another way. You don't have to go the way of darkness. You can turn towards the light, and you can live in God's light with the power of God's life. That's another way you can live. And this is what he's getting at. John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Do you see this declaration? It's an amazing declaration of Jesus. He says he's the way. He says he's the truth. And here's the point with all of us. Like, he sets this before us, saying, at any given moment in our lives, gang, here's the deal. We're either going towards the light, going Christ's way towards Christ's light, towards life, that light that leads to life, or we're going towards the dark and the darkness that leads to death. And it's really our response to Jesus at any given moment that dictates which way we're on. I'll close with this. Here's an image of a tomb in Ravenna, Italy. The emperor of Rome built this tomb 1,500 years ago for his beloved sister. Her name was Galla Placidia. The tomb, upper left-hand corner, is built in the shape of a cross, It's become such a destination, they say tourists travel from many miles away to walk in the tomb of Gala Placidia. And you say, why would you want to travel walk in a tomb? So they walk in, and of course the tomb is quite dimly lit. It's very dark inside of a tomb. They walk in, and initially you walk in, you you would have the thought, why did we travel all that way for this? And people are shuffling around, and they have these guidebooks in their hands, because the guidebooks say, you want to go here. And someone in the midst of everybody shuffling around and kind of thinking this was super uneventful, um, someone finds the coin box on the side of the wall. There's a little coin box on the side of the wall, and someone slides in a coin. And if you know the culture of Italy at all, you know definitely they're going to make some money off of this deal. Kind of like the toilet scene in Italy, right? This coin, they're going to, they're thinking, hey, everybody from around the world's coming here. We need a coin box on the wall, and people are going to drop a coin in this, and someone drops a coin in the slot, and the spotlights come on, and the ceiling right there. They say that that mosaic is so breathtaking in its color and its detail that people stand, stop, put their guidebooks down, and gaze. And then a few minutes later, the lights go off. The shroud of darkness, the group of tourists shuffles out. The next group of tourists shuffles in. I think I'm a little bit like a tourist in Ravenna. I think perhaps we all might be at some level. We're... I know in my own life, I can get so distracted. I can get so focused on what's going on in the here and now. I just got my guidebook in front of me, and I'm just caught up in my own life and doing things my own way. And I want you to think of John's gospel. Here's what John's gospel is. It's the apostle's coin in the slot on the wall where he goes, look, 
Open your eyes and see the glory of God that has come in Jesus. Do you see him? There is no one like him. He is the light that dispels the darkness. He is the light that will expose the things in hiddenness. He is the light that will guide and direct our steps. There is no one like Jesus. Go Jesus' way and find life. Look up and see the glory of God all around you. That's his coin in the slot. Church, do you see? The worship team wants you to come on up. Here's how we're going to wrap up. A new song this morning based on John 14, 6. Won't be hard for you to learn it. But as we sing it together, here's what I'd like us to do. (laughs) I want to invite you to lift up your eyes and gaze at the glory of King Jesus all about you. The wonder and awe that this light has come into the darkness. And now he's handed the ball to us. He said, you want to go towards the light? You realize that by the power of the Spirit in us, we can walk towards the light? It's available to us. Christ has come. He's made a way. We're not just lost in the darkness. But he's entered into it and made a way through it. And so for some of you, you may feel a lot like Rob Conrad this morning. You got, you've been dropped in your own sea of darkness and you can't see the end of it. And this morning is lift up your eyes and look to the light of Christ. Wherever you're at and whatever you're going through, lift them up and see the glory of God that's all around you. And as you do, you will find... There is the kind of life available where you can live in God's life. You can live in God's light with the power of God's life. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that you would do that during these remaining moments. Lift up our eyes, all the circumstances we've walked in with. We're we're like the tourists of Ravenna. We've shuffled in maybe through the kind of week that's just shrouded in darkness And through this morning, through the songs, through the message, through the scriptures, lift up our eyes, drop in that coin, shine those spotlights on your glory and your majesty, Jesus. Open up our eyes to the light, we pray.